You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Um, let's jump right into our summary sentence today and uh, hit the ground running. It says that while sin drastically affects our ability to image God well, through salvation we are being renewed and called to recover more and more of his image in us as we learn to live our lives in conformity to Christ's image. While sin drastically affects our ability to image God well, through salvation we are being renewed and called to recover more and more of his image in us as we learn to live our lives in conformity to Christ's image. For our kids, while sin makes us less like God, salvation makes us more like God. Okay, so we talked last week just from a basic um, foundational aspect that we are all made in the image of God. But I told you, and we kind of hinted at it last week, that sin drastically affects our ability to image him well, that our image is now marred, right? That while we are very much God-like in some of the things that he bestows to us and allows us to exhibit here on this earth, sin taints those things, right? So while we showed last week that our capacity to love, to show kindness and mercy and grace and justice and these attributes of God that uh, become better known to creation as humans uh, act these things out. Sin comes in and taints those things, right? So while we have the capacity to love and to love others, sin makes us now prone to love ourselves, right? And so instead of showing love and service like Jesus does, we show love and service to ourselves, right? So instead of humbly um, serving others, we selfishly and pridefully serve ourselves. So sin taints our, our ability to image him well. We're still, we're still made in the image of God, right? It hasn't removed that aspect. We talked about that from Genesis, where after sin comes in and wrecks the earth, really wrecks it to the point where Jesus is ready, or where God, Jesus is ready to fix the earth through the flood, right? After the flood, after Jesus starts to talk to um, to Noah. What does God say? God says, look, you, you guys can't kill each other. You're going to be held accountable for that, right? He says, I'm even going to hold animals accountable for taking a human life. Man, I read an article this morning um, after I finished studying about a 60-year-old surfer uh, in Australia this morning who was killed by a shark attack, right? And they showed an image, a picture of the shark that they saw from an aerial view. And I couldn't help but think about the fact that, hey, somebody needs to go get that shark, Right? Because while this guy is 60 years old, and maybe in some in our society would say, ah, oh, he, you know, he was a little bit older, like moving towards the end of his life, right? That human life has unbelievable value because whether he's a follower of Jesus or not, he's made in the image of God, right? Now, obviously, I don't think the shark had anything malicious out, right? The guy was on his territory. The shark was hungry this morning, right? And so it's not meant as a punishment to the shark. But God says to, to Noah and his people, he says, look, I want you to take animals who take human life and, and remove them so that you never lose sight of the fact that every human life is valuable. Every human life is valuable, right? Um, but sin affects our ability to image God well. It affects our image, but we see that that image is still talked about post-sin. So we haven't lost the image. It's just been distorted. It's been damaged. And that's what we're gonna see today is how we still have expectations placed on us to image him well, and it involves us pursuing him through salvation, right? Salvation comes, and now we pursue this transformation through sanctification, the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to get us more and more like God again, right? So we're God-like in the way that we're created, 
but we are now called to become godly in the way that we live. Every single human being is God-like because they're made in the image of God. We know that not every human being is godly, though, right? Um, that many human beings choose to live life independently of their creator, choose to exchange the glory of the creator for the passing things that he has created, right? Um, but, but what we see post-sin is that God our Father calls us to return to this state, and he does that, and he calls us forth in salvation, sends the Holy Spirit to draw us to him, and then once we're saved, we begin this pursuit of becoming more like him, like we were originally created to be before sin. All right, let's look again just a little bit at the value of human life. I'm reading a book um, called Respect the Image. It's a book that we're reading as a staff at Trinity this summer uh, for the middle school and the upper elementary. And it's a book that, that starts off kind of showing the value of human life. And then the, the, the purpose of the book is to show that that now affects the way that we interact with human life around us, particularly in the ways that we communicate with those around us, that the value that we place on a human being shapes the way that we communicate with human beings around us, right? But the book starts uh, with a, a perspective, a foundation of a, of a worldview of how do we view other human beings. And I want to share that with you real quick because I think it may be memorable as we kind of move forward, okay? So looking at the value of the human life, he takes, um, the author takes, go to the next slide. The author takes um, this word and changes one letter all right, to show different worldviews, all right? So we can view human life as nothing more than a evolutionary uh, survival of the fittest, us progressing from being uh, no more than a primate, being no more than a chimp, right? The, the evolutionary process would say we started off as this and we have progressed and grown into this. Uh, if by no other reason, by accident, right? Because there's no specific um, author or creator or mover, of the evolutionary process for most. It's simply something that has just kind of survived and happened over millions and millions of years, right? And, and if you view human life that way, it really devalues every single individual's existence because we're here by accident, right? We're not here by purpose. We're not here by design. We're here by chance, right? Um, another perspective of viewing human life is to see uh, every single individual as more like a chump, um, that we're damaged misfits with, with value only tied to our usefulness. And I think sometimes, even as Christians, while we wouldn't fall into the first category, I think sometimes we're prone to slip into the second category. Um, and we talked about this some in our, in our application group last week here at the church, that too often times we see other people through a lens of whether they are valuable to us or not. And if they're not valuable to us, we don't really need them. We can discard them. Uh, they're not important. If they don't serve us, if they don't uh, carry out a purpose for us, then we don't necessarily need them, or, or they don't have the same value as somebody who does, right? And that really starts to border on what the, one of the first passages we're going to look at this morning from James, right? The, the sin of showing partiality, where we, we, we show value to those who we think give us the most value, Right? Um, and then that third category where we want to land, where we want to land is we see everyone as uh, cosmic royalty, image bearers of God with the capacity to glory in him. And this too is where we're going to see today that we don't become image bearers of God once again when we're saved, right? We are image bearers simply by being human beings, right? But every single human being, again, has that God-like capacity but they have the capacity to become godly as well. 
right? And we're going to see how Jesus identified the people that oftentimes we would discard and say, no real value there, and he went after those people, right? He went after those people, he seized control of the hearts of those people, and took them from being simply an image bearer, right, what every human being possesses, and he took them and he began to conform them to his image and began to move them towards this this status of being godly, right? Transforming them from, from being dead in their sins to alive with Christ, okay? The implication here from this section is that the level of value we place on an individual will ultimately determine the level of treatment they receive from us. The level of value that we place on an individual will ultimately determine the level of treatment they receive from us. We're called to honor the image of God in everyone. We're called to honor the image of God in everyone. And when we really let this kind of sink in, we soak in it, it really changes our interaction with every single human being that we come in contact with. If you're like me, you... um, are very schedule-prone, and um, you move from one thing to another because you're trying to, you're trying to, to meet deadlines or you're trying to, um, to keep up with the schedule that you've built, right? And so I, I'm the type that, the, if I'm not careful, I could go through a grocery store, check out, and could tell you zero about the person who checked me out, right? Like, if, if I got out of the grocery store, you could say, hey, did it, did it, was it a male or a female that checked you out? Um, I, I have no idea right? Like sometimes I'm so schedule-minded, I don't even look up to talk to the individual. I'm, I'm, I'm immediately putting my stuff there, and then I'm standing in front of the screen waiting for it to tell me you can stick your card in, right? Waiting for it to tell me to get the card out so I can get my stuff and get out of there, right? But even like this week when I had to, when I had to step into stores, I tried to be more mindful about just even carrying on a conversation with the individual who's standing behind the cash register. Why? Because they're an image bearer of God, right? Like I'm in the presence of cosmic royalty here. Someone who bears the image of my creator. What scripture says is that the way that I treat this image bearer reflects a treatment of my creator. We're going to see that today. And that's not just towards Christians, right? It's not just that we treat Christians the way that we want to treat God. It's that we treat every human being the way that we would treat God, right? And so just even being mindful of the fact that here's somebody who uh, has been standing here for maybe eight hours today, um, has maybe interacted very little in a meaningful way with any other image bearers, right? Because so many people have come through their line, schedule-minded, got to get in, got to get out. Um, to even pause to, to reflect and, and to have a, have a conversation that communicates value to this individual, communicates value to this individual that they're recognized, that they're appreciated, right? And so that's a small, small, small way that I think this doctrine can infiltrate our life and change the way that we interact with human beings on a daily basis around us, right? The level of value we place on an individual will ultimately determine the level of treatment they receive from us, right? If the cash register person is no more than a chimp or a chump, they don't need you to talk to them. You don't don't have to talk to them. There's no value there, right? But whether they're a believer or not, they have the capacity. They have a capacity to, to know God, and to worship God, and to glorify God? And how can we pass up the opportunity to acknowledge that? The value of human life. Next thing I want to I kind of mention to you before we get into application points. The effects of sin and our ability to image him well. How does the sin affect 
shape our ability to image him well. Well, it, it, it creates divisions, right? Sin creates divisions where we're even prone to, to not see value in individuals. And that's because of sin, right? Sin creates this, this tainted image in us and our ability to even image him well personally, but it also taints our ability to see his image in other people. And so we begin to value and devalue people through a sinful lens, again, of whether they present value to us or not, right? Number one, the image of God is present in those who are common, just, just, your, just your common folk, your common individual. And that comes from James chapter two. And I wanna take time to read this because I think we, we maybe pass over this too quickly in seeing it just as something that we should try not to be versus seeing it more as a, as a sin. James chapter two, verse one, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But if you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you, fulfill, if you really fulfill the law, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For the judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And he's saying that we have to be really careful that we don't box human beings in to uh, categories of value to us or no value to us. Now, this is a a really helpful analogy for us as a church family, right? Because as we have visitors come in, we have to be really careful that we don't prejudge somebody who's never been here before, right? And we certainly can't allow our treatment of that individual to be shaped by um, superficial things. But this goes further than just in the context of a Sunday gathering, right? Directly related to me would be um, how we even treat incoming new students. Because there's a real tendency for the, um, the, the student who is highly gifted in athletics or highly gifted in the academics um, or who comes from a family who is known to have um, uh, a lot of money to take precedent over a student who maybe comes in struggling academically or struggling with behavior or struggling with some things in their past, right? As a principal who has to sift through all of the applications, right? I have this responsibility to protect our environment, right? To protect our culture, but I also have to be very on guard and very careful that I don't fall prey to the sin of partiality to where I box a student in and say, don't need you, don't need you, really want you, really need you, 
could care less if you come or not. And there's probably context for you specifically. That, that's my context because that, that's me outside of this, this Sunday church gathering where I have to say, am I ever guilty of this? And how do I push back against this? And how do I fight against that? Right? You have to kind of see where does this fit for you? How are you potentially guilty of this outside the Sunday morning context? We could all be guilty of it in the Sunday morning context, but then we all leave and we go our different ways. Do we faithfully show value to God's image bearers regardless of the value they present to us? Because the common individual here is highlighted as one who deserves our respect, right? The sin of partiality is to show favoritism towards someone based on what you believe they can do for you. But God typically works the opposite way, right? And he calls us to do the same. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. All right, we looked at this passage last week. We oppress a poor man. We're not just insulting the poor man. We're insulting the one who made the poor man, right? But if we're generous to the needy, we honor both the poor man and the maker, right? We dishonor God and his image bearers by, by uh, belittling the needy. Think about how Jesus modeled this for us, right? We just saw this coming through the Gospel of John. Jesus doesn't go and call the best of the best to be his followers, right? He goes and calls these, these lowly fishermen to come and follow him, right? Jesus models this for us. He doesn't show partiality, right? He doesn't show favoritism towards somebody because of the money they have or the, the value or the, um, the, the, the benefit that would come from, from associating with that individual, Right? Jesus goes and, and, and models this for us by calling fishermen. The image of God is present in those who are, who are just your common, average, nothing special about them from the human perspective, right? They possess unbelievable specialness from God's perspective. Number two, <clears throat> but sin causes us to see those distinctions, right? Sin, the sin of partiality, causes us to see an individual who has money, an individual who doesn't, and it changes the way we interact with them. Number two, the image of God is present in those who are different in those who are different from us, right? Um, we are certainly mired in a situation right now as a nation where our, our differences are being talked about, right? Our cultural differences, our, our differences in skin color and, and how that shapes the way that we interact and treat each other. Um, this week has certainly been a reminder too that every idle word can come back to haunt you. Um, I've seen multiple celebrities who have been impacted by things they said years ago right? Potentially from their perspective in jest towards their friends. Um, we tell our kids all the time at Trinity, don't post anything that you don't want brought up years from now um, because it, does, it doesn't seem to go away, right? Anything that's posted on social media can come back to haunt you years from now. I saw uh, a college football player, Oregon State, I think, uh, kicked off the team this week because of some, some racially, uh, co- racial comments that he made before I think he even got to Oregon State. This is back in high school, um, it surfaced. It surfaced at the worst time possible for him. Coach called him in and said, scholarship's done. You're done. You're off the team. See you later, right? Um, so we're, we're, certainly, we're certainly very sensitive to how differences are kind of shaping the way that we interact with each other right now. But Scripture has a lot to say about it. Scripture has a lot to say to God's people about how they treat those who are different, particularly from a cultural standpoint. Uh, the foreigner that's talked about in the Old Testament, right? Exodus chapter 23, 
verse 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God calls his people out of Egypt, right? They've been living there for 400 years. They've been the oppressed. They've been the foreigner. They've been the sojourner. They've been the one who is out of their culture, out of their homeland, right? Living as guests in Egypt, they come under the oppression of Egypt. God calls them out. They went in as a few families. They come out as an entire nation, right? And then God decides, now's the time to communicate to you what a nation looks like. How does a nation image me well? Well, they treat foreigners differently than you were treated in Egypt, right? And he begins to give them instructions about how to treat the foreigner. In Leviticus chapter 19, Uh, verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus chapter 23. Notice even some of the the New Testament language that that pops up later, right? The uh, love him as yourself, right? Who's your neighbor? Not just the guy who lives right next to you, right? It's the guy who's completely different than you, right? He too classifies as your neighbor. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And he even gives instructions to the Jewish people about how they are to collect the, the, the food they've harvested, the food that they've planted, right? This is where we see uh, somebody like Ruth, right, being able to glean from crops that she didn't plant because this was part of their culture. This is how you take care of the poor. This is how you take care of the, the, the person from, from uh, not your, your area, right? Like you, you take care of them this way. And these instructions are given by God so that Israel can image him well. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19 Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Right? God, God says we got to protect those who are, are different from us. Psalm chapter 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Jeremiah chapter 22, the last passage we'll look at for this. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Man, we see implications for for how we're to treat those who are different from us, right? People who don't look like us, talk like us, right? People who come from different cultures, different backgrounds, Right? And that, that's far more than just skin color. Right? That, that, that's anybody who's different from us. I think God has a heart for us to see those differences through the lens of God's image, to appreciate the differences, to value the differences, to love and serve the differences. Right? Image bearers of God. Number three, the image of God is present in those who are broken. Present in those who are Jesus, and I, I meant to mention this, backing up to number two, Jesus modeled the... The, the seeing the image of God in the, in the pre, in, uh, present in those who are different. Remember when we talked about how him intentionally going to Samaria. He intentionally goes, he doesn't bypass Samaria, 
like Jewish people would tend to do. He goes right through the heart of Samaria, right? Plans his schedule so that he comes in contact with the, the woman at the well in Samaria, right? Why? So that he can rescue her, so that he can reach into her heart and seize control of it because she's an image bearer of God, but not just her, right? All these other villagers who she goes back and tells, right? We talked about how the, the, the disciples were too busy, potentially. The disciples don't go into town looking for food and tell these guys, you gotta come see this guy who, who, who has saved us, who has told us everything we've ever done, who has miraculously altered our life. They just go in and say, we gotta buy some food. Right? They, they, they probably would have been guilty of, of what I would have done. Jesus would have said, Adam, go get some food. I'd have gone down there. I'd have bought the food. Come back, Jesus would have said, uh, did you talk to a male or a female register? I'd have been like, I don't know. I don't know. I was so busy, right? Because we see the woman go back into the same town and she starts screaming, come see this man who has changed my life. And the, the crowd responds and comes, right? And they get saved. And we talked about how, man, Jesus was tearing down these cultural, racial barriers because the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, hated them because they had mixed with other nations, wanted no part of them, right? Didn't see them as being capable of godliness because of uh, the families they were born into. And Jesus goes in there and fixes it and says, "Uh, these are image bearers of God. They have great value, great purpose. We're gonna stop what we're doing and we're gonna have a conversation with these people and we're gonna share the gospel with them, right? Those who are broken, Matthew 4, 24, the, the sick, the crippled, right? All that, all that is a, um, a byproduct of sin, not necessarily a direct result of sin. We talked about how Jesus said, look, disabilities don't flow from sinful choices by parents, right? But the brokenness of humanity is a result, a byproduct of sin, right? We long for these glorified bodies. Jesus was very prone to put himself around those who were physically in need like that to the point in Matthew chapter four, verse 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, right? He's the one who goes to the lepers, these individuals who were thought of basically as dead already, right? Like, just put them out to pasture. We are done with them. Their life is over. They may live for a little bit longer, but for all practical purposes, they have no value for us. That's what culture would say to the leper. Jesus goes and finds the lepers, right? Says you're still an image bearer of God. They can glory, can glory in me and can be changed for eternity, all right? Number four, the image of God is present in those who are sinful, in those who are sinful. Genesis 9, 6, that passage we talked about where um, mankind is still held accountable for capital punishment, uh, for taking the life of a human after sin has started. But in Acts chapter 17, a really weird passage, because when we think in terms of being a child of God, we think in terms of that being a, a, a title kind of reserved for believers, right? We wouldn't call unbelievers children of God necessarily. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul does, in, in, in at least one form or fashion, in Acts 17 uh, verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Okay, so he's he's referencing a secular poet of the time, right? Um, It would be like me referencing a movie in here during a sermon, right? He references a poet of their time and says, some of your poets have called you offspring of God, right? Verse 29, he kind of affirms that and says, being then God's offspring, 
We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He references these unbelievers as, as offspring of God, children of God, image bearers of God, right? And says they're accountable for that, that they're called to something because of that, right? Calls them to repent, calls them to come back to this, this state of pursuing God and being not just God-like, but being godly, right? Uh, James chapter three, verse nine. This is um, post, again, post-sin, where we are told that people still bear the image of God despite the sin that exists in us, right? James chapter three, verse nine, with it we, uh, talking about the tongue and how we handle our tongue. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Sin taints our image, but it doesn't strip us of it. No matter how defaced and disfigured by sin, the image of God still lies in each of us including the worst of us. Even in our vilest state, we still bear his image, which means the grossest sinner. Think about who that is in your mind. Hopefully not somebody specific, maybe more just a type, right? Um, You might think in terms of individual heinous crime, like that's the grossest sinner I can think of, somebody who would do this, right? You also might think in terms of somebody who would do something lesser, but do it really frequently, right? Like just constantly. So maybe not that big of a deal if it was only done one time, but the fact that they continually do it, right? So somebody who, who violates the covenant of marriage and outside of marriage is, is involved in activity that's, that's not, not even godlike, it's not godly, right? But then other crimes that would warrant like long stints in jail, Right? These are individuals who still bear the image of God even in their grossest sinful state. Right? And, and, I, and to be honest with you, I think I, this is probably the category of people that I, I tend to devalue is the individual who I think is so far gone in their sin that they've kind of lost value in my eyes. Right? So I, I really try to battle and push against prejudice and bias that might come towards different cultures and different skin colors, right? Like I, I try to be real mindful of that and, and I want to push back against any sinful tendency in myself to not value somebody because they're not like me. But I think I tend to, to, to fall prey to devaluing or, or not seeing value in somebody who, who kind of fits that Romans 1 category. Like they're just, they've really just exchanged everything for just these unbelievably gross, sinful, heinous desires that are so inconsistent with the way we were created to be, right? I see those type of people walking down the street or, or marching in a city, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know, right? I, I, and and, and, that, and that, that is sinful, right? Not because I shouldn't hate the sin, right? Not because I shouldn't be grieved over the sin, but I, I intermix it with my own sin, and I fall prey sometimes to, to not seeing the image of God still being there and the capacity to be redeemed from that and to become an unbelievable glorifier of God after that. 
right? That, that, that's, that's, my, that's my flaw. That's, that's my fault, is that as I pursue Jesus, I, I trick myself into thinking that it's, it's okay to, 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 to have that type of mindset towards somebody because, hey, I'm trying to be obedient to Jesus. They're not trying to be obedient to Jesus. So that makes me more valuable than they, right? That, that's me confessing to you where God still has to work on me. God still has to work on me in that area because they are image bearers of God. And, and, and you say, well, well, how can you say that, Adam? Because Jesus specifically forgave the worst sinners, right? He still goes after the worst sinners, He goes after the tax collector who's rejected by by people in society. If you haven't had a chance to watch The Chosen yet, it's really good. Um, I I love the way that they portray uh, Matthew in it, though, because he is portrayed as the vilest of sinners to people. Like, nobody wants anything to do with this guy. Um, They want nothing. They don't even want to be seen with him. In the first episode, uh, this guy gives him, like, a taxi ride, and the guy makes him, like, bury himself in the back of the the, the carriage, so that nobody will see him drop off Matthew, the tax collector, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with him, right? Jesus goes after the, the adulteress, right? The, the individual who, who can't even tell you who their husband is because they've had so many husbands, right? Like, they can't tell you uh, what, what it looks like to be right in that area in their life because they've been wrong for so long in their life, right? He goes after the, the individual who's demon-possessed, right? And I, and I believe that... Um, most likely the individuals that we see in the New Testament probably were involved in things that kind of introduced that into their life, right? That they were probably involved in some sinful things that kind of opened the gateway for some, from demonic possession, right? Those are the individuals that Jesus goes after, right? He never, he never doubts that they are still an image bearer of God in need of salvation, and he goes and seizes those individuals. So the image of God is still present. It's just been devastated. It's been broken in us. Romans chapter one, Romans chapter three uh, talks about the, the progression of us falling deeper and deeper into our sin, right? That we've all sinned, that we all bear this judgment upon us. But that's who Jesus goes and gets. It's who he goes and saves. The implication here is that while we're still image bearers of God in our sinful state, we're far less like God than we were before our sin. So we've kind of defined image bearer of God as being an individual who uh, human beings being people who are uh, made like God, right? Sin comes into play, and now we are less like God, right? We're still made like God, but we're less like him bef- be- than we were before sin. The mirror that's meant to reflect God has been shattered, but it's not obliterated. God can still be seen through the shards that remain. Every single human, no matter how much the image is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. All right, let's look at some application to wrap up. What does this mean for you as an individual, right? Number one, it means that we have to pursue imaging him well ourselves. That you yourself, you have to pursue imaging him well because you do don't do that in your flesh. You don't do that in your flesh. It'd be nice to say that we're all born in the image of God and we grow up and we look like God and we talk like God and we act like God and we are very God-like and godly simply by being human. But the fact is, is that we are born into sin, right? We are image bearers who are born into sin, which means if left unchecked, we grow up to talk very different than God, to act very different than God, to treat others very different than God. Because in our sin, in our flesh, 
we don't act like God, right? We have to pursue imaging him well ourselves. For our kids, God calls me to act like him. Number one, once we're saved, we're called to pattern our life after the image of Christ. We're called to pattern our image or pattern our life after the image of Christ. In Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Salvation moves us from, moves us from being God-like to being godly. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. We talked about our image-bearing um, attribute being a reason for the redemption that God gives us, right? That he determines he wants to fix what went wrong with sin. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those who he predestined, he also called. He justified, he uh, glorified them, right? And Jesus says, I'm not okay with image bearers staying in this status. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna come in and fix it. And, and I've determined that you're gonna be conformed to my image. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, talking about the, the first Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You have this picture of spiritual growth being an opportunity for us to recover more and more and more of the image of God in us. As we grow, we become more like God. Ephesians chapter four, verse 24. Talking about taking off the old self. It says to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, right? Getting back to what we were meant to be. Colossians chapter three, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see that picture there? We are being renewed back to this fuller version of the image of God, right? Like we're still the image of God, but we're broken, we're tainted, uh, we're, we're, we're shattered in a way, but we're not obliterated. We're, the image of God hasn't been stripped from us, but now salvation is that redemptive process where we're being put back together so that we can image him best. Number two, once we're saved, we're called to treat others like Christ would treat them. Sanctification moves us to seeing others around us through the lens prescribed by God and his word. And the more sanctified we are, the better we see people through this lens of being an image bearer of God, possessing value because of the, the maker, right? The value comes from who made them. Sanctification is required to help us see that. And then as we become sanctified, man, it drastically affects our relationships. Even those closest to us, 
Imaging him well affects our marriages. In Ephesians chapter five, I have a new perspective as a believer about what my marriage is supposed to look like and how I'm to treat my wife, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Man, what, a, what an unbelievable obligation to live up to that, that we are called to treat our spouses that way, right? That we're called to treat our spouses that way. It, it's a complete transformation. It, it affects our family, particularly the ways that we parent and the ways that we as children respond to our parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right after that, it goes into showing us how imaging him well affects our workplace. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Man, it's to shape the way that I treat those who work for me, right? It's to shape how I treat the individual who I work for, right? This imaging him well is transformed drastically as we're being sanctified. Ultimately, how we treat others is to be seen as how we desire to treat Christ. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Matthew chapter 25. Familiar passage to us about how we treat others being a reflection of how Jesus will see himself being treated when he returns by us. We'll just skip to verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We pursue imaging him well through this process of sanctification. And then number two, We push imaging him well in others, right? It's not just enough for us to be satisfied with trying to be a a good image bearer ourselves. Man, we see the need for others. We see others through this lens of having a capacity to bring glory to our creator, and we try to cultivate that in others, right? We We want others to image him well. Number one, we must live in such a way that compels others to live differently. Matthew chapter five, verse 16, talks about us shining our light in such a way that others are compelled to give glory to God, right? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, Paul talks about following him as he follows Christ, right? Paul wants to live his life in such a way that other people come behind him and say, hey, let me go with you. Let me follow you to Christ. We have to live in such a way that others live differently too. And then number two, we must instruct in such a way that equips others to live differently. We must instruct in such a way that equips others to live differently. It's not just that we're supposed to be a good image bearer ourselves and let others see that and they try to uh, model what they're seeing in us. 
we're called to come alongside and equip people to live that way too, right? So in Titus chapter two, you see instructions being given to older men, older women, and, and I think the passage is talking about both age and maturity, right? So you can have an older man who is very young in age, but very seasoned in his spiritual life, right? That these mature individuals in the church are meant to teach the immature in the church, to grow them up in their faith, to show them what it means to be a godly man, to be a godly woman, to help them come under this, uh, this process of becoming godly, taking godlike image bearers of God, and making them godly, uh, what they were meant to be prior to sin. Pursue it yourself, push it in others. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into some application now. And, and so we've, we did this last week and, and we're gonna do it again this week where instead of having our discussion groups on the front end, we're gonna do them on the back end and, and kind of give us some immediate opportunity to talk and dialogue a little bit about what we just heard. What does it mean as we walk out these doors this morning, okay? So before that, family worship questions for this week? What are some ways we show God to others through our actions? And then is there anyone in our life that we struggle to show value to and why? Those are some questions that you can discuss as a family this week. But as we jump into some discussion groups right now, and we're going to do it like we did last week where uh, I think Tyson's going to break some people up into some groups virtually so that you can talk and discuss. We're going to have a big group here Um, in the church building. But these are the questions that I want us to dialogue about here just a little bit before we leave today. Um, Which types of people are you inclined to value less because of your sin? right, I kind of confess to you my area. What what do you see your sin kind of rearing its head in your life uh, and how it shapes the way that you value those around you? What can or are you doing to push back against those tendencies? And then number three, how can you show specific value to those types of people this week? So who are the types of people that you're inclined to, to not value appropriately? Your sin kind of squashes that for whatever reason. What can you do to push back against that? And that's not just something that you do this week, but it's something that you have to fight against regularly. But then what is something specific this week that you could do to show value to that type of person? All right. Um, so we're going to break up into groups like we did last week. Once your group is kind of done talking and discussing these questions, you are welcome to pray together, and uh, then we'll reconvene um, again next week. We've got our uh, Ladies D groups coming up this week. Encourage our ladies to be a part of that gathering. Um, Look forward to seeing those of you that are online. Uh, Some of you next week with uh, McLeod's D group or McLeod's C group being uh, welcome next week. And then if you'd like to come, feel free to jump in. I'm sure we'll have people from that group that are out on vacation or unable to come next week. So there should be spots again. Encourage those that are interested to to jump on those spots and join us up here next week uh, in our building. All right. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.